We all want to feel like we belong, but sometimes it's challenging to find connection in our living spaces, neighborhoods, communities, and relationships. On Home Where You Belong, we're here to change that. Hear stories of people from different backgrounds and from different places and how they've been able to feel more at home to help give you a renewed sense of connection, belonging, and optimism. Welcome to Home Where You Belong with your host, Chip Alford. I have a lot of kind of trigger questions with clients, especially ones that are having a hard time gauging. Do I really love this home? You know, would you be upset if I called you tomorrow and told you it was unavailable? If they say no, then this isn't your house. Um, you know, can you picture yourself coming home here? You know, I had, I had one guy that I remember, we were under contract on a property he loved. He called me the next day, an engineer, and we terminated because he timed a left-hand turn he would have to take to get to work every morning. And he said, I'm not sitting at that light every day. If you've ever bought a home, you've probably experienced that kicked in the gut feeling just before closing. Let's face it, the process can feel overwhelming, especially if you're first-time buyer. I've gone through it a dozen times, and it still makes me nervous. That's why I invited Amy Terry, a successful 18-year real estate veteran, to join us as today's guest. Amy, a partner and managing broker at 8Z Real Estate in Littleton, Colorado, one of the most successful real estate firms in the state, is here to share tips and insights on how to make the home buying process smoother. She's also going to give us a heads up on what realtors can and should do to help you find your dream home. Well, Amy, welcome to Home Where You Belong. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Awesome. Hey, let's let's get right into it. As someone that's been in the industry for 18 years, what inspired you to pursue a career in real estate and uh, what's kept you motivated to stay in it all these years? So I ended up in real estate totally by accident, had no desire to pursue real estate. But looking back, I feel like, you know, there was no other path. Um, I grew up with parents who flipped houses. Uh, we moved a lot oh. when I was a kid. So I remember going to open houses on the weekends and um, moving. And my dad was always renovating and fixing things up. So just kind of grew up in that world. And then in high school, my best friend's mom was in real estate. She got us a job answering phones at Remax. That was back okay. when you used to have to call to schedule showings and talk to somebody. Remember those days? Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so did that in high school. And then I, I left for college pre-law. The plan was always um, to go to law school. I wanted to do criminal prosecution. Um, but I worked at a real estate office in college while I was going to school. And senior year, I got my law school acceptance and I didn't tell anybody for like two weeks. <laughs> and so I thought, hmm, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. So I went to my boss that I was working for at the time uh, and my parents. And, and I really respected his opinion. And he said, you know, I really could use the help. Why don't you get your license, do a year deferment on your law school acceptance? Uh, and that was 18 years ago. And so oh, wow. it just kind of, it took off. And I think what's kept me in it so long is that there are so many cool avenues of real estate that sure. you can learn about. And it's, you know, every day is different. Every client's different. Every deal is different. So it just keeps you, it keeps you interested and, and challenged and there's always more to learn. And, and so that's why I really love it. That's an interesting transition from criminal law into real estate. I'm curious, have you been able to use some of the training that you received in, in your legal education? How do you think that's helped you um, maybe be a better realtor? 
Yeah. So part of the reason that I think I was having second thoughts about real estate, or I'm sorry, about law is I had interned with the Boulder DA during, during college and unfortunately just kind of saw that it was a business. You know, if someone came in with money and a great attorney, they were treated very differently than someone else. And so it was very discouraging. Um, But again, in the beginning, I wasn't sure. So then I worked as a victim's advocate for the police department. And I did that for about five years. And that has really served me in this career. You know, as a victim's advocate, we're showing up, um, sitting with rape victims, domestic violence, we're doing death notifications. So in that sense, I learned a lot of great skills of one, just staying calm and keeping things in perspective. I mean, real estate is very emotional, but it's not, it's not life or death. So, (laughs) you know, one of my agents always says, she says, you never get your feathers ruffled. And I said, well, because when you've had to go tell a mother at three in the morning that her son just died in a car accident, telling someone that a deal fell apart or, you know, something else, it just, it just keeps things in perspective And the crisis intervention honestly comes in handy because moving is very emotional. I think it's every year it kind of goes in the rankings with divorce and death of the most stressful events in a life is moving. So it it is, those skills have come in very handy as far as being able to listen to people, make them feel heard uh, and kind of keep the situation calm um, and keep it in perspective and not let things ruin my day. I get if someone doesn't get a house, it ruins their day, but I can't let it ruin mine all the time. So there's definitely overlap and I'm grateful for that experience. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't hadn't really thought of that, but yeah, you're, you're really an advocate for the people you're representing, but that ability to stay calm because home, home buying is, is stressful. I mean, it's one of, one of, um, if not the largest purchase that people make in their lives. And um, so it's uh, it can be very emotional. And a lot of times people are moving to new cities, new areas, new neighborhoods, um, kind of uprooting their lives. So it's, it's a big change for sure. So good to see that you were able to take advantage of some of that training and experiences that you had. Well, let's talk about that overwhelming feeling or, or process for a minute. What are some of the common challenges that people face when they are buying a home? What's some of the, the things you hear brought up a lot? So I think in general, across any markets, the first thing is kind of clarity. Uh, You know, home buying is a huge process of elimination. So I really feel like that's partly my role is to help narrow down what's really important to them. Uh, And then, and then eliminating neighborhoods, types of homes, et cetera, until we get a clear picture. And the Denver market for the last few years, it's honestly been lack of inventory, affordability, you're competing in multiple offer situations. So that'll a whole nother level. Uh, and so again, that is where I feel like it's really my job to help hold that vision for them. Uh, and not, you know, there was a survey that came out that I think something like 80% of people that bought in 2021 don't like their home. Oh wow! And it's because people felt so pressured to just make an offer and get something locked up. And so I really, during that time period, felt like it was my role with my clients. Like we don't have to make an offer. You don't have to choose this one. I mean, some people are in situations where like, yeah, our lease is ending or they have a job like where they have to. But, um, so that's been a most recent challenge is really lack of inventory and, and, you know, affordability, especially with interest rates right now. And it's extra tough with couples, uh, cause a lot of times they're not on the same page Uh. as far as, what they want in a home. And so I like to do this exercise when I sit down with couples, I have them each, I give them separately a piece of paper, have them write down their top five desires in the new home. 
and then we talk about them. And it's amazing how often the couples haven't already talked about that with each other. Um, and you know, sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes they really line up and sometimes they're totally different. But better to have that conversation up front rather than after they're moving into the home that they realize yes. does not work for both of them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm a party of one. I mentioned to you before we got started with the interview today that I'm actually about to put my home on the market and I'm going to be moving. Um, this will be the 27th different place that I live. My friends make fun of me. They they tell me I'm a realtor's best friend or a realtor's nightmare, but realtors <laughs> have made some money off of me over the years. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but I really depend on realtors you know, for that clarity that you talked about earlier and to be an advocate because there's things I'm just not an expert in and, and don't want to be, you know, but I want them to ask me the tough questions that, that I might be avoiding. Um, I'd rather ask those up front than, you know, run into them later on. Yeah. And I really feel like too, our, our role is to really point out the things that you're not thinking about, especially if you're looking at a particular neighborhood or a particular property. Like I have a client that we were house hunting and, and we walked into one house and she looks at me, she goes, okay, what's wrong with this one? <laughs> and I said, am I that bad? <laughs> and she said, no, but you always, and I, but I feel like, yeah, I mean, you're going to see the beautiful marble countertops and the vaulted ceilings. You're not going to see the windows need to be replaced. You're not going to notice that the furnace we're, we're is notice years the, old. We're going to notice the view. You're going to notice the windows need replacing, right? Yes. Yes. So that's where really, I think a really great agent is also, you know, I never want someone to be surprised down the road. I want them to feel really confident about the property that they're buying and the neighborhood that they're buying in. Um, so that's a, that's a huge piece of it too, is helping them get clarity, but then also pointing out all the things that the mishaps that we can help them avoid. Cause I'm sure moving as much as you have each time <laughs> you've learned something or thought oh, yeah. next time I'm going to pay attention to this. I live in Chattanooga. It's a mid-sized city of about 200,000 people in Tennessee. It's a really good size for me. I really love it here. But when I moved here, I took early retirement from the company I was in, and, and I knew I wanted to move back to the South. I was living in Arizona at the time, and I really wanted a condo because it's just me. But when I was looking around, I really just didn't see anything that that grabbed my attention or seemed to work for me in in the condo space here. And uh, I probably should have listened to what you said earlier, you know, about, you know, I didn't have to make a decision right then, but I was kind of in that mood or mode to do it. And um, so I don't regret moving here. I'm, I'm living in a tri-level house at the foot of Lookout Mountain, beautiful view, great neighborhood, that literally the best neighborhood um, that I've ever lived in. In fact, um, listeners, if you haven't listened to episode number two, you can hear an interesting story about some um, neighbors of mine who have a... Uh, Italian dinner they make in their home every month and invite different neighbors as a way for us to get to know each other and connect. So, so there's been a lot of great things about this, but it really just doesn't work for me space-wise. It's too much and I am getting older. I don't need three levels of stairs to, to go up and down. So my realtor did talk to me about some of those things, but I think he also realized, you know, at some point, I guess you have to let the client uh, go with their, um, choices and intuition, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it is different. I've, you know, I've worked with several different types of clients. Personally, I do almost everything based on a gut feeling and an emotional feeling. There's a lot of engineers in the area that I, <laughs> that I work. So I've also worked with a they lot of engineers. I want a spreadsheet. I bet. Yes. Yes. They're very <laughs> analytical in the decisions that they make. So, you know, as an agent, we have to be kind of chameleons and, and adjust, um, but yeah, that's a, I have a lot of kind of trigger questions with, with clients, especially ones that are having a hard time gauging. Do I really love this home? 
is, you know, would you be upset if I called you tomorrow and told you it was unavailable? If it was sold, if they say no, then this isn't your house. Um, You know, can you picture yourself coming home here? You know, just some, some type of emotional questions. Yeah, that's a and good for one. some people, it just isn't about that. It's just it's about the numbers and and the square footage and the location. And you know, I had, I had one guy that I remember. We were under contract on a property he loved. He called me the next day, an engineer, and we terminated because he timed a left hand turn he would have to take to get to work every morning. And he said, "I'm not sitting at that light every day." Wow. So we terminated. That's <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you have to respect that, you know, people are different and I'm definitely more the intuitive gut feeling kind of person and that's worked for me pretty well, but I do want the realtor to ask me some of those more analytical questions, realizing that some of those, you know, I'm going to say, oh, well, I don't care, but I'd rather, mm-hmm. I'd rather hear those than try to think of them myself. You know, I was looking at your your website, Amy, which we'll include a, a link to in, in the show notes. Um, has a lot of great resources. There was one I noticed called A New Way Home, A Guide to Buying Your Home that really walks through the basic steps that you go through in uh, in the home buying process and gives some tips. So I'd like to walk through some of those. We may not go through every step, but as I mentioned these, share some highlights or things that you try to bring up or talk about with your clients related to each step. So the first one is select an agent. How, how do you get most of your clients? Is it usually referral, word of mouth, advertised in a mix, or where do you find most of your clients come from? Yeah. So at this point in my career, most of my business is repeat clients or referrals from those clients. When I very first started, I did a ton of online leads, mm. um, which is a little bit exhausting because you're you're having to prove yourself over and over again. But I will say, I'm happy to see in the last couple of years, it's becoming a little more common for people to actually interview a buyer's agent. You know, okay. it's very common for people to interview listing agents. Um, but I feel like buyer's agents, people end up just picking whoever they come across, whoever shows them the first house. So I really think it's important that buyers do take the time to sit down and talk with an agent to make sure that they do know what they're doing, that they specialize in the area that they're interested in. I really think someone needs to be in it full time as a full time profession to have a good gauge on the market, to be able to guide you correctly. Um, you know, there's just a lot of people that it's kind of a side hustle for them. And, and I don't know that they're always doing the best service for their, their clients. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think I've, I've seen it more in the last couple of years than I ever have. And I really appreciate that people are taking the time to sit down and do a consult with me and see if we're a good fit. So what kind of questions should a, a home buyer ask a realtor to kind of get at whether it's a good sure. fit? Yeah. I mean, ask? I would ask that. Yeah. I mean, the full, the first thing I would ask, is this your full-time career? Okay. You know, is this what you do full-time? Um, I would say, what area do you specialize in? And not even necessarily geographic. You know, if you're someone that's looking for maybe a vacation home or a short-term rental, or you're a first-time home buyer, or, you know, whatever your specific situation is too, sometimes there's some nuance to that as well. Um, so yeah, find out what area and type of buyers that they typically work with, what price range they're typically working in. Because each, um, I'm assuming like realtors, like every other profession have areas they specialize in. I mean, you have to kind of be a generalist to know the yes. picture, but I guess everybody has areas they gravitate toward or have more experience or interested in. 100%. 
And then the other question to ask, which I don't think a lot of people would think of, but ask them, are you the person I'm going to be working with through the whole transaction? Ooh, that's a good one. So that's there's, a really good there's one. a lot of teams now that like you sit down with one person, you'll never see them again, but you'll have a separate showing agent. And, and again, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Just be clear on what the process is going to look like. Um, and then, you know, scheduling, if you're someone that works a night shift and you're only going to be able to look at certain times, make sure your schedules align that, you know, for some reason, if they're like, well, I don't work on Sundays and Tuesdays or whatever, um, make sure that aligns. And then also hopefully you guys just somewhat click, you don't have to be best friends, but you're actually going to spend a lot of time with this person. Exactly. <laughs> so you want to kind of some level of rapport, I guess with them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And trust that again, you know, real estate isn't rock and science, but so a bad agent can cost you a lot of money. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, make sure they know what they're doing. And then also I would ask for client references. You know, no one's going to know an agent better than someone who's done a deal. Oh. If you're not comfortable actually contacting these clients, at least check online for reviews, good and bad and, yeah. and, and see, and see what yeah. other people's experience have been with them. Yeah. There's a lot of information you can find online, but yeah, if you know someone that's, that's worked with them, definitely get their, their opinion is always helpful. Well, let's talk about another step, um, getting pre-approved for a mortgage. I just went through this myself. And and um, even though I've done this a lot, it was it was kind of challenging. The person I had normally gone through is is no longer offering that service. So I was looking for somebody different. What are some things you talk to your clients about re related to that step? I think the most important thing, especially right now with interest rates, is just talking with someone and running payments. Because okay. the hardest thing is when people are like, oh, we know our price range is X, Y, Z. We start looking. Then when we find out, oh, well, to keep your payments where you want to be, we need to be looking about 100000 less. It's really hard to go backwards. So I think it's really important for them to talk with a lender. I do encourage people to shop. Um, same thing, though, is at the end of the day, make sure it's someone that you trust. You know they're going to do a good job. If it seems too good to be true, it's probably too good <laughs> to be true. And then, you know, and for my clients, I'm always happy to look at any estimates that they have because lenders can change the numbers to fit what you're sensitive to. So if okay. you're really looking for the best interest rate, maybe they're going to way bump your closing costs and the interest rate's going to look better. So I just want to make sure when people are comparing, they're comparing apples to apples. But just, and just in general, it's really good to make sure you're clear on what you can afford, you're clear on what price range we need to be looking at, um, and especially anyone that's self-employed. Uh, you know, it's just different how they look at your income. So, you know, it, how yeah. you, how you show up on paper sometimes is a lot different than what you actually bring home. Absolutely. That's, that's good advice. Good input. The next step that was listed there is, is create your wish list. This is kind of the, the fun part for a lot of people, you know, what, mm -hmm. um, you know, what's the location you want to live, the home size, the type, your must haves. Talk to me a little bit about that. It sounds like, like, uh, is that one of the things you do? kind of on the initial meeting or pretty quickly with your clients? Absolutely. And I think taking the time to do that, it helps speed up the entire process to get a lot of clarity. And then also to me, it's not just your wish list; It's the why behind your wish list. Okay. So if someone says, you know, we need four bedrooms. Okay. Well, I want to know specifically what are those four bedrooms for? Cause maybe you need three bedrooms in an office. Okay. Well, if we find three bedrooms in a loft, is that going to work or no, we need an enclosed space. Is it, it could be, they need it for kids or for a, an aging parent, or mm -hmm. they just like the extra space or want the workspace that you mentioned. So yeah, I can see why that would be important. Yeah. And like, for the example, let's say it's for an aging parent, then, okay, we need to make sure it's four bedrooms, but at least one is on the main level. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Yeah. So just getting more clarity on the wish list uh, and and what is most important to them, because maybe honestly, the house isn't as important as we want to be in this neighborhood okay. or we really want to be walkable to certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, or we in Colorado, it's often we want to be close to trails. We want to be able to hop on a mountain bike and things That's- like that. So, yeah, it's really important to go through those and then also kind of rank what's most important. Yeah, because there's so many things where that's a hot button. Like some people are like, we want to be in this elementary school for our kids or sure. we, you know, so just getting clarity on that and then getting the why behind it too. Because if they're like, well, we want it back to open space. Okay, well, what about being on a golf course? Would that feel the same to you? So just, especially in a limited inventory market, let's open up as many options as we can and still get the effect that you're looking for. There may be different ways to accomplish achieving their wish without maybe the the specific way they have it spelled out. Let's talk about the search process. I actually love looking at real estate listings and just like dreaming, you know, like, oh, I'd love to live in a place like this or, you know, whether I can afford it or not. I just like doing that. But what advice or what input do you give your clients as they're looking at listings or getting ready to visit properties? I mean, the biggest thing is let's stay in your price range. Cause I do get okay. people that are always like, well, let's just go look at this. And I'm like, well, you're going to look at it, but if you can't afford it, here. yeah, if yes. you can't afford it, yeah. it, may, it may not be worth your time. Yes. So stay in, in your price range. And then honestly, I'm always sending people listings, but I'm also very encouraging, you know, as an agent, I don't feel like my value is emailing you listings. My value is helping navigate the process and make a decision. And the reality is like you said, especially when someone's house hunting, Typically they're obsessed and they are on every website multiple times. So there's no way that I don't, they don't need anymore. Yes. So I, you know, I tell people (laughs) I can direct them to a couple of websites that I think are more accurate. And, and I say, you know, go for it. And a lot of times people end up buying a house that doesn't match their wish list at all. So I'm pretty open to, if they come across something, let's go check it out. It is a huge process of elimination. So once people, we make a decision we don't want this neighborhood or we don't want whatever, then we don't go backwards. So I try to keep people really focused. Like if they start sending me, I'm like, well, remember we said we needed a main floor bedroom. So this one doesn't. So let's not, because the problem is the buyers will get burned out as well. Not only do I not want to be showing things that they're not going to (laughs) buy, they're going to get burned out. So anytime they're like, we want to go see this, I will run through the property and, and just point out like, Hey, you know, the HOA is way higher than you said you wanted to spend. Do you still want to see it? That sort of thing. So I try to filter before we physically go look because, you know, like I said, people get tired of it. Um, And things start running together. I mean, I'm actually not someone who doesn't, I don't look at that many properties probably compared to your average home buyer, but even with just the number that I do, it's like, now which home had the blah, blah, blah. And you know, Mm -hmm. which, so it's like, you know, the realtor really helps me kind of keep all that straight, you know, Yeah. ultimately my responsibility. Yeah. And I try to keep any particular visit to four properties max because yeah. it gets really, once unless someone's relocating, they're like, we're here for one weekend and we just got to knock it out. Otherwise I'm like any more than four properties, you, you forget. you're kind of checked out by the last one. And yeah, you don't remember <laughs> what has what. Okay. Well, let's get to that point where we're ready to make an offer. I'll be honest. I really hate this part of the process, but how that goes down really depends on the market, right? And where you are and the economy and what, what what all goes into how you approach making an offer. 
So yeah, to your point, it's it's very market dependent, which is also kind of not to harp on it, but I think that's why you need someone that's doing consistent deals, especially in Denver. It's been literally changing weekend to weekend. Um, so I start, if someone knows they want to make an offer, I call the listing agent and I get as much information as I possibly can. Um, cause that helps us strategize. I want to find out what's important to the seller. I want to find out their timeline. Do they need to rent back? Are they in a rush? Do they have anything else on the table? All that sort of stuff. So once I have all of that, then I'll also pull, you know, recent sales for the client. And then together we kind of come up with our strongest offer that they're comfortable with. Um, and I have all kinds of ways we can make the offer stronger without having to up the price. So that's where I want to get it. Can you give me an example? Sure. Sure. So here in Colorado, they collect earnest money once we go under contract. And that's basically just a good faith deposit. The contract here is extremely buyer friendly. They have gosh, probably six, seven outs, um, throughout the process where they get that earnest money back. So I've had some clients, they'll put their whole down payment as earnest money. So 150,000, wow. um, it just looks really strong and yeah. the seller's like, make a hey, these guys yeah. are serious, <laughs> mm-hmm. but in reality, they're not any more out of pocket than they would be at the end of the day. In my opinion, I mean, it makes me a little more nervous. Cause I'm like, I, I mean, I'm always on top of the deadlines, yeah. but I'm like, I better be on top of the deadlines, <laughs> but yeah, that's a simple way to just make your offer look stronger. Keeping the deadlines really tight because again, here buyers have so many opportunities to terminate the quicker we can do things and and make that earnest money non-refundable the better so you know making deadlines super tight here we've also offered free rent backs so the sellers let's say we're closing and they need an extra 30 days we're letting them stay in the house for 30 days for free yeah that lease back is interesting to me i am going to be moving into a historic building downtown that they're renovating probably not going to be able to get into it until December. And I'm trying to decide, well, when do I put my house on the market? You know, I don't sure. want to be down to the wire to try to sell it, but you know, if I sell it too soon, then I'm going to have, you know, have months to, to try to find short, short term place. So is that unusual to do leasebacks or what's your thoughts on that? Again, it's very market dependent. So okay. five, six years ago, you never would have seen it. Yeah. Um, the last two years it was very common and now we're, we're not seeing it as often. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty common. And in Colorado, the max is 60 days. Okay. Um, so between, you know, and usually closing contract closings about 30 days, that only gives a 90 day window. Um, but yeah, it is, it is pretty common. Uh, and then again, depending on how long they're staying in there, do we do a security deposit? Do we charge them per day? Or if we're competing, maybe we just say, we'll, we'll do it for free. Okay. So all of that is a little bit of negotiating things that you can throw in there. Also limited inspections. So sometimes I'll write in, you know, buyers won't ask for anything that's less than $1,000, $1,500. So the seller knows we're not going to nitpick. Okay. I absolutely never, ever let buyers completely waive inspection. I think that's very sure. irresponsible. Um, but I think limiting it where like, we're not going to nickel and dime you for little things, but if you know, the sewer line needs to be replaced or the roof needs to be replaced, we're going to have a conversation. Well, let's talk about from contract to closing. So we've made the offer. It's accepted. You have a, a contract, but what are some of the things that happen between um, when that offer is accepted and closing day? And what are some of the things you counsel clients about during that period? Sure. So I would say the first thing that typically happens is the home inspection. We try to get that done as quickly as possible. And then from there, it's, you know, if it's really bad, we make the decision, we're just going to terminate and walk away. 
99% of the time we're able to kind of, well, I shouldn't say 99% of the time, most often we're able to negotiate those items and repairs. Um, and then every once in a while, which is very rare, is that there's nothing that comes mm. up in inspection and, and we're able to just move forward and not ask for any repairs. So that, that is probably, I would say the majority of the time when a contract falls apart, it falls apart in that period okay. of, of the inspection. Beyond that, we have the title commitment that comes out and the lender and I review. We'll also have, if there's an HOA, HOA documents come out, the buyer has a right to terminate based on both of those. Um, and then the appraisal is the next big one uh, in Colorado. That's been a big issue the last couple years that, you know, when things were getting bid a hundred thousand over asking, they weren't coming in at value. So then, you know, again, buyers are either coming up with the cash or you're renegotiating with the seller on the price. The market here has slowed a little bit. So we are seeing most of those come in at value, but that's another hurdle that you have to kind of get through. And then the last is a loan approval. If someone is getting a loan. Um, but if they are working with a good lender, we hopefully have been through that process and knew before we even wrote an offer that there wasn't going to be any hiccups there. So there's several, there's several steps, several things happening after the, that, that contract sign. And then, and then you get to closing day, which in a lot of ways is a great day because you're you're getting access to your new property, but uh, a lot of paperwork. I remember feeling like I'm signing my life away and a lot of things to kind of um, look over and review. So what kind of input or advice do you give your clients about closing? So I do let them know, at least here in Colorado, every document you're signing, every buyer in Colorado is signing. So you're not going to be able to change anything. (laughs) (laughs) And, and yeah, I mean, everyone that's bought a home is signing this document. So if I have a very analytical type A, I will send them the, the, all the documents ahead of time because I have been in closings where, and rightfully so, if they want to read every word. I mean, I've had closings yeah. that are three, four hours because we're- I bet there were lawyers, lawyers that like to look at that. That could have been you, but you said you're more intuitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it is funny though. I will say working with attorneys, you get one of two. One, they don't read anything because they know they can argue with their way out of it <laughs> or they <Okay>. read everything. <laughs> so you get That's two fun. types. <laughs> But yeah, if I know they're the type that are going to want to go line by line, I try to get them everything ahead of time. And then um, at closing, usually it's pretty, the loan documents are typically what is is the most. And in most of those, you've actually already signed once. Okay. Um, So we're re-signing the same stuff. Um, But yeah, closing is usually pretty smooth. uh, And it's, it's a lot of legalese. It's a lot of, you know, I tell them every document was a lawsuit at one point or another. That's why it in, it's in there. But yeah, at that point, unfortunately, it's kind of like, do you want the house or not? You're not yeah. going to be able to, you know, yeah. and I've had, I, I know in Chicago, they they have attorneys. You bring an attorney to closing um, and we're not an attorney state. But I had a client, she was a first time home buyer. Her dad insisted that we had an attorney at closing and he kept trying to want to change. And we're like, we can't, you can't. Yeah. It's yeah. a state certified document. You know, we either sign it or we don't. What about after the deal is done? Do you have uh, any uh, follow-up contacts or further contact with your clients after they're in their property? Yeah, 100%. I mean, my goal is to be someone's agent for life. So I want to be involved going forward and in, in whatever they have going on, whatever decisions they make. You know, hopefully you've done a final walkthrough prior to closing, which I always recommend, you know, we're doing the day of or the day before. So there's not any surprises. Um, but I always, you know, I try to check in that first week, make sure that 
once they got into the property, there's no surprises. Every once in a while there is, um, but I want to help them resolve any issues that they weren't expecting. Uh, and then as a company, we have, we call it the AZ Collective. We have a lot of follow-up as far as information about your property, vendor resources. Mm. We do a, a huge annual event of client appreciations. We also do a lot of little neighborhood events. So Really, once you've done a deal with us, you're now part of our community. And so we're going to be in touch with you on a regular basis. And and I love when clients call me about everything. Like, you know, we're going to paint. What paint color should we paint? Or, you know, yeah. I, I like to be involved and, and help as much as I can with that asset. Absolutely. Well, that, you, you know, that relationship that you have with your realtor, I mean, you, you want to be able to click on some level, whether they end up becoming, you know, a friend long-term or whatever, but you want to feel like you have uh, someone that you can consult with occasionally. I know I, I used a, a realtor in Nashville, shout out to Frank Miles. He's awesome. Um, that I used like three times because I connected with him. He was excellent. Um, and I trusted him and he, he did follow follow up with me on things after the sale. And so when I was ready to, you know, buy or sell again, I sought him out. So there's something to be said for, for, you know, maintaining that relationship. If, if you have a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, you know, I joke, I have a one, um, I work with a lot of families, but I have one huge like extended family that at least once a year, someone's transacting and they're great. They've, I mean, I'm invited to graduations and dinners Aww. and, so they're, they're, they all now have become family as well, but I'm always like, Hey, who's, who's buying and selling this year? Cause it's one of you, <laughs> like, but it's, but then the client events become fun too, because their whole family's coming for movie night or pumpkin patch or whatever <laughs> we're doing. So it, yeah, it, it's, it's, that's also what is really fun about the job is just the people side of it. Well, and I, I bet you drive around different areas of town and as you do, you probably think of, Oh, that's where I sold, so, you know, so-and-so yeah. for this, or we bought this place for you know, this family. So it, it becomes like a little markers for you, I bet. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. And there's a lot of times I'm out showing and I'll text so-and-so and just, just drove by your house. The lawn looks great <laughs> or, you know, whatever they had done. So yeah, it is fun for sure. Let's talk about relocation for just a second. I I've moved several times and, you know, that's always, you know, it's, it's challenging just buying a house, even if you're staying in the same city mm -hmm. or town, right. But mm -hmm. relocation can add extra stressors, right? Or extra things to, to make part of the decision. What are some of the questions that people should ask themselves before uh, making a relocation decision? Sometimes they don't have a choice that's like related to work or sure. know, whatever, but any particular things come to mind when it comes to relocation? Well, I think a lot of real estate agents might cringe at this, but I actually really <laughs> recommend if they're not familiar with an area, just do a six month lease. Okay. You know, I'd hate for you to jump into buying something that you just end up not liking the neighborhood, not liking whatever, even with the guidance of a great agent that could happen. So I do recommend if they're in a position where they could just do a six month lease, six months goes by way faster than people think that gives them time to explore different neighborhoods, get a feel for the city and then take their time looking and buying a property. So that's always my first recommendation. If you're, you know, if you're able to do that and, you know, sometimes they're part of a relocation package, that's just not an option, whatever. Sure. Um, but that's the first thing I always recommend is, you know, just spend as much time as you can in that city. Um, if, 
that's not an option, then it is a lot of questions. It's kind of the same process, but just a little more hard nosed as far as what's really important to you, because that's going to help me direct you into what neighborhoods. Okay. So, you know, I start broad, like, do you have a location that you need to be close to? But a lot of people are working from home. So then it doesn't matter. <laughs> so then are, you know, our school is important is walkability important. Do you like a more kind of cookie cutter HOA neighborhood? Do you like a more eclectic older neighborhood with mature landscaping? So it's a lot of questions that then I can sort of start directing them to different areas or parts of town that they should focus in. But yeah, it's a lot, a lot of questions. I think when someone's relocating to help them figure out where they want to be in. And it makes me sometimes, I mean, I've had, I've literally had clients over the years that buy house sight unseen and um, it's, you know, closing day is very nerve wracking for me. <laughs> I just hope, hope you, you guys hope are you like it. <laughs> yeah. But there are, you know, there's some people, you know, similar to you've moved so many times. There are yeah. people that, you know, they're used to moving every two or three years and they're, you yeah. know, they kind of live with whatever. And, yeah. um, but yeah, it's so, and that's the spectrum too, is that people that move a lot usually make decisions much quicker mm-hmm. and they kind of know what they want and what's important. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just think it's a best case that they can spend six months renting, get a feel for where they want to be. I think that's the I think best. That's, that's good advice. I, I probably should have done that when I moved here. In fact, my realtor may have suggested that, but I was kind of hell bent on buying a place for what reason. I'm not sure. But, you know, for my upcoming move, my realtor has some friends and neighbors that do short-term rentals of a place. And so he's able to you know, help me maybe identify that as a potential short-term fix if I can't move directly into the place where I'm going. So that was great. Yeah. Interestingly, the people that are in that short-term rental now are people who moved here and are, st- are staying like six months or so in okay, it perfect. to better understand Chattanooga and make yeah. better choices. So, well, that's great, but you still need to be out in time. For me <laughs> yeah, to move you're in like, I need it. You've had time now. Now get out. No, but that's probably really smart. And that's, that's good advice. Your bio mentions that you work with a team of professionals, um, such as a stager, a handyman, a marketing coordinator, you're fortunate, a photographer to help sell homes. Can you talk to me a little bit about the role that staging plays in the, in the home selling process? Um, I know I've looked at a lot of places and, and it makes a difference when I walk into a place that's set up to look like a home, whether it's the people's real furniture or, or staging that's been done mm-hmm. can make a mm-hmm. huge difference in the way you see it. Can it? hundred percent. And it's, you know, even more so because now with everything online, people are typically falling in love with the property online. And the showing is just a confirmation that, you know, this is the house that we want. Empty rooms are really not appealing online. You can't tell what room is what. Uh, and yeah, I mean, really the, the goal behind staging is to create that emotional experience when they walk in of, I can picture hosting Thanksgiving here. I can picture (laughs) coming home here. I can, you know, so that's, and it gives them an idea of how to use the space. I think it's really important if it's a funky floor plan. Uh, cause a lot of times people walk in and they're you know, I don't know where I'd put the couch. I don't know how I would arrange this room. So that's just to give them the vision to do it. I think I I spend money on staging with every listing. I think it's extremely important. There's a huge ROI on it. Um, I hate to say it, but particularly with single men, I notice really? we can look at like two identical condos and they will spend way more on the one that's staged because I think they have a harder time mm. envisioning how would I decorate this or how would I set this up? 
Um, and I have to remind them, like, this is not stained. So it's going to look the same as the other one <laughs> at closing day. But it is, I, I think it's super powerful. It's something that um, for a while I was actually part owner in a staging business because um, I believe in it that much. Wow. Okay. Uh, and it it makes a huge difference. I just had actually one of my agents, um, this was probably about six months ago, exact same floor plans were listed across the street from each other. He had one listing and a, a guy across the street had another listing. He staged his, they ended up going under contract the first weekend with like six offers. The other one sat for about 45 days and then he finally called him and said, Hey, can I get your stagers contact info? <laughs> but the other one was actually priced better, you know, but it, it just goes to show how much better it's marketed, how much better it shows people just get more excited about it. You know, this, this podcast is really about what makes people develop a sense of belonging in the home. So part of it is being able to visualize yourself in that mm -hmm. space. And like you were saying, you know, what would Thanksgiving be like, or where would I put the furniture yeah. or where are my kids going to sleep or, you know, all those kind of different, where am I going to put the office? So yeah. if you have staging set up that gives those kind of visual cues that can, I understand why that can make a huge difference. Yeah. It creates an emotion when you walk in and the house feels good. And that's the same reason people bake cookies before an open <laughs> house or, you know, smell is a huge <laughs> thing. I always tell sellers if anything, we're scrubbing this house top to bottom and it's going to smell good because that, that is a huge, huge factor as well. So oh yeah, all that stuff that evokes emotion. That reminds me when I was looking here, when I moved here, it's been about three years ago now, I went into this condo that I kind of liked and it was some good size, whatever, great view and things I liked about it. But it uh, smelled like the cats had been doing their business there for quite a while. And I just couldn't get that out of my head, you know, yeah. I couldn't, you know, I thought, well, you can have a major cleaning on it done. I'm like, yeah, but is it really going to get rid of that smell? And whether it would have or not, that that's what I remembered. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't consider it. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too. No, I don't know if you do this, but I noticed that house hunting that my clients always come up with nicknames for houses just to <laughs> yeah. like keep them straight. Yeah. I guarantee you that's like the cat smell house. Like that that's was the cat. Yeah. That was the cat house. Yeah. Not a, yeah. That's a, that's a lot of connotations <laughs> there, but it wasn't, it wasn't a good one. Definitely for this way, for different reasons. Well, listen, I want to end with a question that I um, ask everybody, but I want to preference this with something I found in your um, home buying guide on your website and where you described home as the place you are most known and most comfortable where life unfolds. I love, I love that definition. It's really good. So I'm really curious, what is it that makes you feel most at home? Gosh, uh, for me, it is really the people, uh, you know, I was born and raised where I live and I've traveled, I've been really fortunate to travel all over the world and I'm always pulled back here uh, and I really love to entertain. So when I'm house hunting, that's always what I'm picturing. You know, what is it going to be like uh, okay. to throw a barbecue and what is it going to? So, um, yeah, I think for me, it's all about the people and who I'm going to be bringing into that home um, and the relationships and and how that space is going to facilitate that. Absolutely. Yeah. That connection in your home can make, can make all the difference, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, this has been great. I could talk to you about real estate all day and probably ask you a lot of questions about my upcoming me, which is probably unfair, <laughs> but, um, but this has been really helpful. We'll include links uh, where you can find more information about Amy and 
connect with her on her website and on Instagram. Um, her Instagram is at Amy Terry 8Z Realtor. Did I get that right? At Amy Terry 8Z Realtor. We'll have it spelled out in the show notes and on our website. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was, it was a pleasure to have you. Yes. Thank you for having me. We want to help you continue experiencing that feeling of being at home wherever you are. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and visit our website at homewhereyoubelong.com. Want to join in on discussions, ask questions, or share feedback and ideas? Join our Facebook group, visit us on Instagram, or send an email to chip at homewhereyoubelong.com. We'll see you next time. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.